Hello and welcome to the FIC podcast where you'll hear teaching and resources for church leaders to help independent churches work together to reach Britain for Christ. As we look ahead from the Covid crisis to continue church ministry after lockdown, FIC National Director John Stevens is joined for a Leadership in Lockdown webinar by Ed Drew from Faith in Kids and Mel Lacey from Growing Young Disciples to think about how we develop children's and youth ministry in the coming months. As ever we're going to start by turning to God's Word just as we begin our time together and um, uh, we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5 which says this you know we never used flattery nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed God is our witness we've been thinking um, in these webinars about the foundations for gospel ministry looking at the example of Paul and his team's ministry in uh, Thessalonica Um, And I think that's just a reminder of uh, what we need to do as we come out of this COVID crisis and resume uh, normal ministry. So we saw from verse two that we need to be those who dare to tell the gospel despite opposition. Verse three, we need to be those who have confidence in the gospel, knowing that it's true. So we don't need to use trickery to persuade people to believe. Last week, we saw in verse four that we can have confidence in our calling. We've been approved by God and trusted um, with the gospel. And I think this verse, verse five, um, reminds us that we need to have integrity in our motives for ministry. That's the point of verse five. We need integrity in our motives for ministry. What Paul does here is he really gives a negative example. He speaks of what he and his colleagues didn't do when they were ministering in Thessalonica. And what they didn't do was manipulate people for their own advantage. Uh, Paul didn't set out to gain followers so that he could exploit them. And two specific things he said he avoided in ministry. Firstly, he avoided uh, flattery. He says, you know, we never used flattery. And flattery is basically telling people that we think better of them than we really do. It's giving them the impression that we think well of them, that we're positive towards them um, when that's not really the case. And essentially, flattery is a form of lying that seeks to gain people's loyalty. It's basically an ingratiating ourselves with others by making them feel good about themselves and therefore positive towards us. And that in the um, ancient world was a common characteristic of the street corner philosophers who kind of um, uh, tried to persuade people to um, follow them and support them. And it's also a characteristic of the false teachers who seek to infiltrate the church. So Paul says he didn't use flattery. And secondly, um, he he didn't engage in hypocrisy. So that's the second half of verse five, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. Paul says he didn't pretend, his team didn't pretend that they were concerned about people, genuinely concerned about them, while in reality only wanting to profit from them. That's the um, element of hypocrisy here, giving people the impression that you care about them, whereas in actual fact, what you really care about is yourself and your own gain. And again, that was a characteristic of the travelling philosophers and uh, of the false teachers who infiltrated the church. You might think that's not so much of a problem for us today. After all, for most of us, ministry doesn't really offer the relative financial gains that it might have done in the past. In the past, it might have been the case that pastors were amongst the highest paid in their community. They might have been given the best house. They had a high level of status. That's not the case now. It still is the case in some Christian cultures where there are significant financial rewards with ministry. But maybe for us, we feel that we've given up much for ministry, um, uh, that in a sense we've made significant financial sacrifices. But actually, I think even where we've done that, it's possible for greed to come in and we can become um, resentful of the sacrifices we've made and therefore greedy for small things. And maybe we justify our greed because of the other things that we feel we've given up. Well, both of these two things that Paul speaks about are warnings against the danger of self-serving motivations for ministry, of not really serving and caring for others, but simply serving ourselves. So what are the defences to these dangers? Well, the first defence is simply faithfulness to the gospel. The true apostolic gospel leaves no room for flattery or greed. 
because the gospel declares that people are sinners in danger of God's wrath. The gospel demands that we tell people the truth about themselves. You cannot preach the gospel faithfully and flatter people uh, at the same time. The gospel won't allow you to do that. Similarly, the gospel is a message of grace. The gospel is a message of the free gift of eternal life. Salvation is not bought and it's not earned. The very essence of the gospel is contrary to the idea of self-serving greed. So faithfulness to the gospel will protect us. And secondly, faithfulness to God. Flattery and greed are ultimately marks of a ministry that seeks to please people, that uh, seeks to gain um, people's trust and dependence so that they can be exploited. Paul uh, makes quite clear in verse four and verse six that he didn't seek to please people and gain their praise, but instead to please God. Faithfulness to God will protect us from a lack of integrity in ministry that seeks to use flattery or to pursue greed. And Paul says at the end of verse five, we ought to be able to call on God as our defence witness for our ministry. So we need to avoid self-serving manipulation. And that kind of self-serving manipulation will bring discredit on our ministry, discredit on the gospel. And in all honesty, isn't the fact that people have practiced this kind of manipulation one of the key reasons for the decline of the church in the last 150 years? So let's resolve that we will be faithful gospel ministers, faithful to God, who do not use flattery and do not cover up uh, greed. And in the verses that follow, we'll see that Paul demonstrates his integrity by his actions, genuine care for, his, for the people, and a willingness to provide for himself by his own hard work so as not to exploit them financially. Well, let's um, pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you and praise you for the privilege of gospel ministry. And we would ask and pray that we would be those who minister with integrity. Might you guard us against the danger of using flattery to manipulate people? Might you guard us from a motivation of greed and of hypocritically covering that up? We can see and we know that that has often done much damage to the cause of the gospel. So please help us instead to be faithful. May we be faithful to the gospel itself and may we be faithful to you, not seeking just to please people. Father, we thank you for this webinar. We thank you for this opportunity to think about children and youth ministry. We want to pray for um, Ed and Mel. Thank you very much for their willingness to serve us. We pray that this would really help us as we seek to lead our churches um, uh, from this uh, COVID crisis. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ed, over to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Great, great to have you here. Um, and then you'll be handing over to Mel. Thanks, great. Uh, to prepare for this, uh, I just did a quick survey of those who lead children's ministry, whether volunteers or, or not, um, just to understand the situation of, of where they're at. The Sunday services, they told me, are mostly a mix of both. So uh, most people are doing something in person and something online. So, uh, so that tells me uh, I'm mostly going to be speaking about under 11s and leave Mel to speak of the over 11s and maybe there'll be some overlap. But that tells me that, that broadly now we are trying to work out how to still do the hard business of engaging families on a screen when probably at this point very few of them would prefer that. So if you have an under five, for instance, I was in a session last night for a church in Exeter. They were just saying how hard it is now to engage on a screen with the under fives. So we are still trying to work out how to bring the energy, how to bring the enthusiasm, the personal contact and the relationship. What we have as a church that CBBS doesn't have is we know the names of the people watching. We can speak to them personally. We're still trying to do that. Uh, we're still trying to work out how we maintain enthusiasm as we lead online services for those in their homes. Uh, I asked, uh, where are your children during services? Uh, so there is a proportion who say we're now back to exactly as it was before COVID, uh, but, but that's a minority. 
which isn't a surprise to us. Some are mostly in groups, some are mostly in services, and some are all in services. So I think that means we are still understanding how an all-age service works best. Uh, I want to put out a plea to say, I think it's a learning from lockdown that our children's ministries are not the place to rely on. So theologically, we have always known children belong in their families, spiritually nurtured by their parents in great churches. But in practice, we have parents and church leadership have agreed if we have a good Sunday school, that is what's needed. And it's perhaps even all that's needed. Lockdown has shown us that it was never the case. We have understood better whether our children are engaged and enjoying hearing of Christ in church. And we've discovered how parents are either able or unable to raise their children to know Christ. The all age service is a place where parents can be trained how to speak to their children of spiritual things, how to turn in their families and discuss the things we've looked at. Uh, as someone who is about raising children in homes and churches in partnership, I would say, let's not long for the day we've got rid of the all-age service. Let's not long for the day it's back to an occasional seasonal issue, a highlight even at Christmas. Can we continue to explore what true intergenerational church looks like? How can we have the full spread of ages in church with the chaos that brings so those without children, those older than parents, don't feel excluded? It's not just about children, it's about everyone. I think at the moment we're still trying to work out how those services can work. Let's keep trying to work them out. Keep trying to work out what our unique church families intergenerational service looks like. The word I heard usefully used about this was accessible. It was speaking to someone who works to make churches accessible to minority groups. So particularly in socially deprived areas. She was explaining the word they keep trying to use is accessible. How can our church offerings be accessible to all? I just thought that was so helpful because when I talk about all age services, what people I think hear is it's a kid service where parents awkwardly sit around and the adults who don't have children wish they weren't there. I think the word accessible is so useful in saying, how could our service be accessible to all? Full stop. Brackets, including children. <laughs> okay. Uh, thirdly and finally on this straw poll, we asked this group, what are you most concerned about? Uh, I think what's, what's striking is they're not concerned about themselves. I suspect those who lead kids' work, I, I often find them to be a very faithful, sacrificial bunch who don't put their own needs first, but they didn't say themselves. I was slightly surprised they didn't say the church leadership team, and maybe this group is disappointed about that, but they don't think they're the ones in most trouble. They're concerned about their children's ministry team, which is maybe what you'd expect from the person who leads that team. They're concerned about the parents and the children and also planning the next few months. So what I take from that is uh, my advice to them was, as we talked about this together, was can we try and find some way of meeting in a garden this side of the summer with our children's ministry team or what's left of it? Knowing that a lot of people aren't sure if where they want to serve yet. But those lieutenants, those key people, those people who want to help, can we get them in a garden? Can we infuse them? Can we just love them? In other words, can we just start the conversation so that come September, when no one is going to be ready for the right off we go, it's back, you know, it, it, we're doing it. Can we start to build the relational uh, juice? Can we remind them they're loved, there's a role for them, and there's a time to start talking together about how we love families? And then can we start making a plan for September of how we can disciple families, of what it would look like to do that? And would you know, I have a resource to share with you in a moment. Uh, this was something that one of my colleagues presented, which is just trying to say, I think, what is the elephant in the room? which is the barrier that exists between the parent, in this case a mother, and the person who leads children's work in the local church, who is often a woman, so in this case presented by a woman. There is often 
a divide between the parent and the one representing church. Essentially, it's a wall of insecurity. It's not a wall of hostility because they both love children and they both love one another. But there is a communication wall. There is an insecurity wall. There is a there is a, a lack of understanding because often the person who leads the kids work may not have kids and the parent is feeling guilty and tired. So the advice we offered is, first of all, highlight the valued partnership. Highlight that what we have in common is families. We both want families to flourish. A solution to that is communication and connection. This is the stuff of discipleship that we're all doing. But how do we connect? How do we find ways to love each other, to be in the same room, to drop off things, to, and then to communicate? And, and my suggestion is communicate is rarely the weekly email that by now I think has got longer in lockdown and we're hoping it's gonna do more of our heavy lifting when we can't see each other as much. How do we connect and how do we communicate with families? And how do we start thinking about that? I think this, how we, our churches think about this is maybe what we do over the summer to think through what it would look like to try to reduce that wall that at the moment I think feels bigger than normal because lockdown has created in our families, some regret, some shame, some disappointment in the church, in God, some grieving and mourning for the life that we haven't had, and the uncertainty about what is coming. There are reasons why that wall is there. Uh, I wanted um, uh, just briefly, uh, I should have said this earlier, just on the all age accessible service. Uh, I just had a few top tips that I've been talking to some church leaders about to share. Um, the, the few things I would think about to make that uh, all age service uh, accessible, maybe to all ages is, can we start, instead of the intro to a sermon, can we put that hook, that beginning of a sermon in terms of a conversation? Turn to your neighbor, talk about, uh, have you ever, when was the last time you, so that hook that we're all used to putting at the beginning of a sermon, can we make that a conversation for the person next to us? In other words, it doesn't matter if you've got a child sat next to you, whoever's sat next to you. Now, with social distancing, it becomes a bit louder. There's more shouting. So the conversation we're having probably won't be too intimate. Uh, do we break our sermon into two or three sections? If you've got two or three points, that becomes easier. Does something happen in between those points? A two minute conversation to wrap up what you've just been saying. Uh, we don't need all the songs to be childish songs, but is there one that gets children moving, knowing that the adults don't have to do all the actions? Uh, at the end, is there an equivalent conversation which allows us to process while we're sitting the difference this sermon, this passage, this big idea has made? My personal belief is every, everyone benefits from that. But children in particular, parents get to practice how to talk these things with their children, particularly if you've given them a brilliant question, maybe a question for under 11s, a question for teens and a question for over teens. Three questions to talk about after a sermon. Uh, and then perhaps one thing is in the sermon, once, can you label the people in the room? So, for instance, we're used to if you're not a Christian here today dot, dot, dot. If you're a new Christian, dot, dot, dot. Could we add, if you're a child here today, if you're a teenager here today, to, if you're a parent here today, and in other words, one place which just says to those in the room, I know you're here, I've planned for you to be here, I'm pleased you're here. Uh, and then finally, on that parents one, this is hard, can you imagine parents are the pastors of their families and you're training them? You are the trainer of trainers. Is there a line for the parent so that they could take your big idea and know how to talk about it, turn it over this week? So parents default to, what did you learn at church today, dear? Essentially, can we give them the better question? 
before bed in tears when this issue is at the fore. Uh, finally, my pitch. Uh, uh, the awkwardness of um, the awkwardness of fiddling around. There we go. Share screen again. Uh, just a pitch. A resource that we uh, have worked on um, is uh, is tackling the emotions through the Psalms. Uh, we have taken four monsters that we think exist on the run-in after lockdown. Anxiety, abandonment, apathy, and insecurity. So uh, abandonment, no one has looked after me in lockdown. My church hasn't looked after me. God hasn't looked after me. Anxiety, uh, it's uncertain. I'm worried. I don't see what my rock is to stand on. Apathy, I no longer believe God can help. I don't care. I don't know why I'm in church still. And insecurity. I don't really want to trust God for the long term when there are so many more immediate solutions to the problems. Uh, we've written this resource uh, that that we've called With God Together. The first one is available of four to download from our website for free, faithinkids.org. All four will be free to download, available in mid-July. Uh, and this is the table that we've tried to put together based on what God is like, based on four Psalms, based on what we're calling these four monsters and, uh, and saying, this is what we believe the, the children, the family can benefit. Uh, so we were asked to put something together uh, to help churches gather again and, and not pretend we're back to normal. Uh, and the advice I was given was allow people to talk about how they're feeling, allow people to explain the hurt, explain the new emotions they have. And then as Christians, can we offer truth into the situation we have just heard? So with these resources, we're trying to listen, understand and offer the truth of God's character through the Psalms to it. Uh, we hope, like all our resources, that that the three prongs could be uh, we preach through these four psalms, we study them with our children if they're out the service, and we've got a component to send home to equip families to talk about these things. So those three prongs is what we're trying to always enable. Can the whole church do it through preaching, equipping parents to do it? Can children do it? Can the family unit do it at home? That's me. Thank you for your time. Uh, Mel, over to you. Thanks, Ed. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Really nice to be with you. And uh, thanks to John and others for having me. Uh, I'm going to share my screen as well and just bring up a PowerPoint presentation for us. Great. Um, so I've been asked specifically to think about youth, and I think there will be a little bit of crossover again between Ed and I. Um, I think the first thing that I'm aware of, and I'm sure you are aware of, is that uh, both children and youth workers and indeed family workers are feeling pretty exhausted um, at this stage. Uh, secretly, I'm having lots of people contacting me saying, uh, I know I shouldn't feel relieved, but I am relieved that camp is cancelled, for example. Uh, and I think that only indicates a, a weariness amongst uh, the workers at the moment. And I think we've seen really stunning work over the last 15 or 16 months with high levels of adaptability and dynamism and creativity. Um, so I think we do need to be aware of that, particularly as we think about emerging and restarting in September. And I think some of the things that um, we've clung on to over the past year is the fact that the task remains the same. Um, so these beautiful words from Psalm 78, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. But perhaps more than that, the greater promise is that Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Um, and our efforts are, are worthy and useful to the Lord, but ultimately he is sovereign and he is building his church and we rejoice in that. And certainly that's one of the ways for us to think about serving to the best of our ability and our capacity within youth ministry, but also then uh, rejoicing in a sovereign God who is establishing his kingdom here on earth. 
the task remains the same. However, um, our young people are different. And I think this is where we need to begin to think about engaging with our teenagers as we emerge from this period uh, of the pandemic. So just a few things to highlight for us. And I think for us to be particularly aware of as we begin to regather, and particularly as we go back into more formal youth ministries in uh, the new academic year, the first thing we know is that uh, teenagers are uh, incredibly anxious at the moment. Uh, so this is just a headline from a paper recently, UK teens hit by mental health crisis during the pandemic as rates of depression and anxiety more than double. And we've seen really interesting things happen. So ordinary causes of anxiety like bullying or uh, homework anxiety or exam anxiety has kind of died down a little bit. And then anxiety around the world, their place in the world, their responsibilities have risen. And so we are seeing an epidemic of anxiety amongst young people. So we, we will be speaking to anxious young people. That won't be everybody. Uh, of course, this research doesn't cover everybody, but there are bound to be some young people in our groups who are facing um, an anxious time. Secondly, we know that they are digitally saturated. Um, and of course, Gen Z, this generation that we're speaking of, are digital natives. So the first generation who live exclusively in a digitalized world. But of course, over the last uh, year or so, much of their lives has been forced into a digital category. So education, recreation and relationships have all been formed uh, in digital ways. And some particular things to think about within that. The first is that, interestingly, 10 years ago, if I was speaking about addictions for young people, it would have been probably porn, alcohol and drugs. Now the number one addiction amongst young people is digital addictions. Um, and of course, the pandemic has forced them further down that road. Uh, so we certainly see um, uh, an industry, particularly around the internet, that's forced to cause dopamine, dopamine highs in our young people, which then causes a reaction, which causes an addiction. Uh, secondly, we have digital deficits. So where um, our young people's cognitive capabilities are being challenged, including their ability to be analytical, to think clearly, to be creative, to focus, to have good memories, to have reflection abilities, and also to have resilience. So we know it's impacting them in all that way. And then uh, finally, digital duress, uh, which just really means that they have an information overload and uh, their decline in trusting face-to-face -face relationships, um, which is uh, resulting in an increase in stress, anxiety, depression, inactivity and sleeplessness. So a whole load of stuff going around, around uh, digital saturation. Thirdly then, uh, they are disconnected. Um, and I think Ed's really helpfully already highlighted this a little bit for us. Uh, so Gen Z pre-pandemic were certainly identifying themselves as a lonely generation. Now, post or emerging from the pandemic, they are definitely saying uh, that they feel lonely and relationally deficient. Um, one of the things in all of the re research around Gen Z that emerges is that they long for relationships and connectivity, which is interesting given the kind of myriad of cyber connections that our Gen Zers have, but they are now very aware that they are poor substitute for face-to-face -face relationships. And then finally, they are um, articulating that they feel destabilized. And again, this is something that we were aware of pre-pandemic, but are perhaps more aware of now. So teenagers and young adults express profound anxiety about their future and accused governments, this is more broadly, of failing them as 15 months of lockdowns destabilize their mental well-being, education and job prospects. Now, I know it sounds all pretty negative, but I, I want to give us the right picture of how we then speak into this context. Um, what are the concerns then for us as uh, the family of God in local churches? Well, I think some of the things that we need to be emerging from the pandemic thinking very carefully about are these that we have on the screen. 
again, we were very aware that we have a generation, perhaps even two generations that are ecclesiologically confused. Um, what does that mean? Well, well, simply that they're not quite sure what church is, how they fit into church, um, whether they're part of it or that they're just that kind of one-eared Mickey Mouse um, put out in a kind of segregated, siloed way. And so we have that even more um, um, confirmed by the pandemic, where our young people don't really uh, feel that they belong to church. Obviously, it was particularly hard to focus on teenagers when we were doing um, digital or virtual church. There was a focus generally on the adults and on the kids and the teens somehow got mixed mixed up or missed out in that uh, they didn't quite know where they fitted so I think one of our big challenges is going to be re-establishing both in our kids and young people what church is um, why we do need to physically go um, what the point of meeting together is and and how they fit and belong to it uh, the second thing we see we are seeing um, is real discipleship differences. Uh, so one of the things with regular youth ministry is that you obviously see your young people once, if not twice a week, sometimes three. And so you're tracking pretty well with where they are in terms of discipleship. Now, what we see is young people who were accessing lots of stuff online and also who had very interested and invested parents have actually really grown. We're seeing lots of really encouraging stories um, through uh, the pandemic of young people both coming to faith and really maturing in their faith. But then we also have the opposite where there are young people who haven't been accessing stuff online and who have parents who haven't particularly invested. And so in a way that we probably haven't had in such a a pronounced way before we have real a stretch in discipleship differences uh, amongst our young people who are calling themselves Christians and that obviously is really important when we think about how we do youth ministry which is often very programmatic one size fits all but yes we have this vast range of young people in in their journeys in discipleship and um, thirdly, we have significant relational gaps, and that's not just in the kind of church family, that's also within the young people's groups themselves. So previously, um, kind of in, in the generations past, uh, young people would have come to a youth group or a youth club, but they also would have been in church, they would have seen each other in school, the community life was often quite close and connected. Now our young people um, often just come in for their group, they come to church, but they don't really have much connection uh, with their their fellow young people throughout the week. And I think the pandemic has exposed the relational deficiency in our youth ministry. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and we, you know, we sometimes focus on getting the kids in and teaching them the Bible, but actually not allowing relationships to flourish and to develop um, and for real accountability to occur person to person. Uh, one of the things we know also about Gen Z is they're anti-authoritarian. They respond much better to their peers. And so, which is actually really helpful for us if we're longing to develop a group of young people who relate well peer to peer, but who will also disciple one another, we need to invest in those relationships. And I think that's significant for how we do youth ministry. Uh, and then fourthly, um, and again, Ed has really helpfully highlighted this for us. So we are lacking in intergenerational engagement. Um, so we've necessarily done things in quite a separate way over the last 15, 16 months. And we're continuing to do that just because we need to keep um, young people in groups, in bubbles, however socially distant. But I think we need to really focus as we come back together on what it means to be the body of Christ with all people and ages represented together, learning together, serving together um, and growing together. Um, in terms of evangelism, then, what does it mean? Um, and I imagine for lots of us gathered here this evening, this is or this afternoon, this is a really pressing issue. Um, so loss of contact with unchurched young people. So everyone who's transferred to do their ministry online has maintained to a reasonable degree contact with the churched young people and particularly the Christian young people. But they found very gradually um, over the last year that contact with unchurched young people who might have come to a 
youth group but perhaps didn't come to church has all but dwindled and um, we also have loss of connection with kind of schools ministry or any additional ministry like that um, and so I think we need to be thinking very carefully about how we reimagine our contact with those who are immediately outside our church family and just to go back to what I said a minute ago one of the things we must be aware of is this peer-to-peer -peer relationship and the fact that uh, Gen Z are more influenced by their peers than by someone in authority over them we just kind of take Greta Thunberg as an example of that who motivated millions of young people around the world in the cause of environmentalism so how do we think about getting the young people that we have in our churches and in our youth groups to then reach their peers rather than trying to reinvent what we did before which was on the model of you bring them to us and we'll tell them the gospel so we need to think carefully about that um, and I think um, throughout the pandemic, and I think this isn't a criticism of uh, our youth uh, ministers and workers, but really we've had insufficient evangelistic intent amongst teenagers. Um, we've just kind of hunkered down and, and done what we could amongst the young people that we have. So we, we need to think carefully about how do we do um, a youth seeker course online? How do we train our young people to do youth seeker courses with their friends? Um, how do we allow our young people to do that in CUs in school, but by equipping them um, and informing them and training them? So I think some concerns there. Um, in case I've thoroughly depressed you, <laughs> are there some positives? Yes, there are. Um, there are some wonderful positives that we've seen. I've already mentioned that we, we have seen uh, lots of young people come to Christ. We've seen lots of great discipleship strides. Um, I'm talking to people every day who are super encouraged by their young people, actually, and particularly by their desire to regather. Um, so in a year where we haven't been able to do the fun, the games, the entertainment, some of the things that we we might mistakenly think attract young people to our ministries the young people are still wanting to regather they're still wanting to be with each other to love each other um so that's really encouraging encouraging um, we've definitely seen, as Ed said, the establishment of the role of parents as the primary discipler. This has been pretty painful for lots of teenagers, actually, because it's unusual um, for parents to properly disciple their teenagers. And they do often, if they're intent on doing this, they do it with children, but then kind of hand teenagers over to the local church. And so it has been forced back a little bit. Um, but that is a joy and, and particularly again in a time and amongst a, a generation who are sadly drifting away from the location of their parents um, and are looking to the cyber world and their echo chambers uh, for more um, information and confirmation of life choices um, to see part of what's happened in the pandemic to locate young people back in their families is really great. We do need to be aware that for some of our children and young people, this has been a really awful experience, actually, because of dysfunctional families, abusive families and um, divided families. Uh, so we will have, again, some young people who are thriving and more connected with their parents than ever. Others who actually have been really quite damaged by what's happened in their personal life over the last year or so. Um, a real joy to see uh, young people in collective worship. Um, I'm just spending time with um, some churches at the moment thinking through what this looks like going forward. Um, lots of churches not definitely not going back to any youth work during church services um, in the morning. So even kind of that Pathfinder age group, um, even talking to lots of churches that are not going back to kids ministry in uh, in the mornings or kind of sending kids out of church. So I think there's a time for us to reflect carefully and to think, what does this look like? As, as Ed said, um, how do we help to include our young people uh, more actively um, and appropriately? in collective worship. And then I think the third positive is that desire for relationships among young people. Um, so they, they really do want to know and love one another. And so the question for us will be, how are we fostering that? Um, so just as I come to an end, so what now are some things for us to think about? I think um, in evangelicalism in the UK, um, we've really focused on programmes often in uh, in all sorts of ministries but particularly in youth ministry 
but I think what we're seeing as we uh, assess the damage, if you like, of the pandemic is that we need to know our young people rather than quickly trying to force them into programmes. Um, remember that they will have had different experiences. They will be now feeling different things um, and they will have different needs. And so the more intentional and personal in terms of knowing the young person before us, we can be the more helpful uh, that will be to them, to their discipleship and to their general well-being. Uh, and we might pick this up in the questions, but you might be thinking, well, how do we how do we do this? I don't think it means no group time together, but it does mean what we what that looks like. How do we do it? Do we do it over food? Do we do it around tables? Do we have a, a one leader with the same four young people all the time so that they can know each other really well, rather than running things by rotas and having kids sat in kind of straight lines? We can talk more about that. Um, church family rather than segregated silos is what we need to think about. Uh, so help the young people become intergener intergenerationally connected. Uh, and I think we need to think really dynamically about this. Our temptation is probably to put them back into their segregated silo. Uh, but what does it look like to examine all the different ministries that are part of our church life and to think, well, where do our teenagers fit in with this? Um, how do we help them become part of the church family prayer meeting? Can they go to home groups or what might that look like? Um, how does it uh, work having them in the service all the time? What might that look like? What they can they do? How can they serve? All those kind of things. Um, I think we need to facilitate stability as much as possible. Um, and I can certainly talk more about this, but I think this definitely relates to um, who serves in our youth ministries and how we staff them. Um, and also just relationally how we nurture stable uh, relationships because our young people are feeling uh, destabilized and anxious. It, wouldn't it be great if the place where they felt most stable, um, perhaps after their families, is the local church? And I think we need to care carefully think how to do that. Prioritise relationships as well. Um, I've surprised lots of the folks that I serve by saying, uh, can the curriculum it has been one of my sayings over the last few months, um, not meaning don't teach the Bible or don't nurture the discipleship of our young people, but actually, what does it look like to prioritise relationships? <clears throat> and if, if that means at the moment to do a little less formal teaching and more relationship building, that's a very good thing. And I think we need to think how we do that. Um, and then finally, uh, consider carefully. So the context of your teaching, where are young people being taught? Is it in the main church gathering? Is, is it in specific youth groups? Um, is it in the family? And I'd want to suggest that all those places are the right context. Uh, secondly, the content. So if we know that they are anxious, destabilized, digitally saturated, uh, we know that they're longing for relationships. And we also know that Gen Z are longing for security. What are we teaching them? How are we speaking biblically into this context uh, with the content um, that teaches them that they don't have to look to the world for answers, for, cure, for security, for safety, for their cure, for, for the anxieties that they're experiencing? And then finally, the method of our teaching. So I think particularly because they're digitally saturated, we, we need to be creative in how we do things. Um, because we're longing for relationships, um, we might need to think more about small group work as well as teaching from the front, uh, them speaking to each other as well as us or another leader discipling them. So think about the method of your teaching. Um, and then as we think about uh, re-emerging, so reflect on how the positives of the past can be incorporated into the present without necessarily saying we've always done it this way and it seems to work. So let's just crack on the way we've always done. Uh, John, that's me. So back over to you. Melanette, thank you so much indeed. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for giving us a perspective on the current circumstances affecting our children and young people. Thank you for lots of tips of what we can do and what we need to think about for our church ministries. Phil, um, we've got a, a moment of opportunity for questions for Ed or Mel. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, thank you, John. Uh, let me start with this one, uh, if I may. Um, 
particularly perhaps Ed, but, but Mel, you can chip in as well. What do church leaders gen generally get wrong when it comes to all age services? So some of the, the top mistakes that church leaders make, and we'll have all made them. What, what, are, the, what are the ones you would, you would list off the top of your head? Wow, what a brave question. Um, I, think, I think the big thing is, is that no one wants to be there. And that's not necessarily the church leader's fault, but parents are embarrassed about their children's behaviour. And, th and those either without children or with children don't want to be present for a, a service focused on children. So I think the big thing I'd say is the reason I want to push the word accessible rather than all age is don't think of it primarily about the children. In that Mel and I wonderfully have both said the same thing, which is intergenerational is what we're aiming for. We want all generations to feel equally welcome. Children have a lower concentration span, so that tends to be the limiting factor we focus on. But for instance, breaking a, a sermon down into three parts rather than saying, let's have a five minute talk. Uh, so, so how do we include them rather than change everything so everyone feels let down? Or equally, how do we let everyone down equally? <laughs> there, I'll stop. Just linked to that, um, Ed, what, what would you do then if um, parents in the church don't like the concept either because they think they've got yeah. to keep their kids under control, they don't yeah. like the fact there's no youth and children's ministry, they think right. it's detrimental to their own discipleship? Right. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, look, um, the first thing is, is church is always detrimental to our own discipleship because we're not the only one in church. So the nature of church is we consider the needs of others before our own. So so that, that's a given our own our own discipleship is is detrimentally affected if we have children in the room the second thing is is um that the parents who are nearest to the core of our churches just need to know their children can misbehave for the benefit of everyone else so it, it's the person who is the outsider it's the person who's newest to church who is terrified of their own children letting them down we all as families need to walk into church and not say to our kids, remember, we're a normal family if anyone asks. We, we need those at the core of church to be normal, to be themselves, to be a bit less uptight about their own kids' behaviour, to say there's a cost to kids being in, but it's OK, because there's a cost to anyone being in. That's brilliant. And one for you, Mel, if I may. Just uh, you were talking a lot about Generation Z during your presentation, which was really helpful. And um, how do you witness and disciple Generation Z if they're not likely to listen to authority figures? Um, there's got to be a point where somebody has to 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 hear the gospel, become a Christian, before you could have that intergenerational discipleship and evangelism. How? Any tips on how to do that well? Yeah, there's a so there's a couple of things about Gen Z. Actually, they look like they are the generation who is listening really well. Um, and so you we're probably seeing that at kind of the bottom end of the millennials, top end of Gen Z, so particularly around university age um and kind of 16, 17, 18s. The reason for that is um because they're relativistic. Um, and so actually one of the characteristics of relativism is listening well because they're always searching for their truth. So what essentially you're doing is you're scanning everything as you build your own worldview. Um, so, but I think that's advantageous to us actually, because that means they are listening. Um, what, what isn't most effective is just giving kind of plain uh, apologetic Answer, questions and answers um, because they'll listen and they'll nod but it'll just kind of roll off them what we essentially need to do is to get in under their skin um, in the nicest possible way and to expose where their worldview is deficient um, and so that's kind of one of the things that we need to do so rather than just kind of holding so one of my kind of big convictions is actually often when we do evangelism and apologetics with particularly the top end of Gen Z, we're just missing the mark all the time because the questions that we're seeking to answer are not the questions that they're asking. Uh, so we're overshooting all the time. Um, so we, we've got to get that right for a start. Um, so to actually be answering the questions that they're asking, not the questions we want to ask, we want to answer that we've always been answering kind of since, you know, they dot. Um, and the second thing then is I think we do need to really, I think more than ever, we need to think about an inside out model of uh, youth ministry. Uh, and so that is really equipping our young people to be the evangelists. Um, and so to give them as much ability as we can, essentially, um, 
in many areas in evangelicalism over the last kind of 30 years, we've worked on training our young people to be inviters of others rather than evangelists to others. So we've just said, bring your friend to this event, bring your friend to youth group, bring your friend to church, we'll tell them the gospel. Now we want to put the kind of ball back in their uh, court and say, no, you are the ones going to be telling the gospel. But what we need to say is that that's going to be really costly. Um, and so when we have a, a group of young people who are uh, expressly individualistic, uh, have idols of comfort and, and safety and security, we need to say to them, this is going to be hard. This is going to be costly. Uh, and we probably need to be modeling it in our own lives as well. So they're longing for authenticity. So where are they seeing us living as strangers and exiles in a foreign land? Where are they seeing us paying the cost of sharing the gospel for kind of the sake of Jesus? Um, so I think we've got loads of work to do on this, to be very honest with you, um, in order to reach young people. And just a final one, a quick fire one, Mel and, and Ed, any good resources, particularly building on what you've just said, uh, Mel, for apologetics with kids, you know, challenging scientific beliefs of the day, evolution and the like, anything you'd specifically recommend? Um, it depends on the age of the kids. So um, the new Rebecca, excuse me, Rebecca McLaughlin book, um, uh, 10 questions every teen, teen child um, should know uh, is good. Um, lots of the classic kind of um, a case for a creator, a case for Jesus. They, they all have kids versions as well. Um, Ed, have you got other? Uh, I've been asked this before and I, I'd say it's a, uh, it's a fairly barren shelf. In other words, there, there just aren't many resources. There, there aren't many resources to help parents apart, away from that tight, straight line of here's what the Bible says. Let's uh, pray. Uh, Father, we do want to thank you and praise you for this time we've spent together. Thank you so much for Mel and Ed. We pray that you'd be blessing them in their different ministries. We pray that you would be using growing young disciples and faith in kids to really help the church to minister effectively to young people. Thank you for how they've helped us to understand the pressures that young people are under. We do want to ask and pray that we in our churches would respond by ministering the gospel um, uh, into that context thoughtfully and carefully. We long and pray that we might see a generation of strong believers raised up. We long and pray that we might see many people come to know Christ. Please would you help us to um, be able to train and equip our parents to be pastoring um, uh, the young people that are in their homes and families. Please would you help our young people to be um, equipped to be evangelists who will share the good news of the gospel uh, with their friends. Please, as we go back to our churches, help us to know how to encourage and support um, our uh, our, our kind of leaders for our, our, our children's and, and young people's ministries. Thank you for so many helpful insights into running all age family services and creating those intergenerational uh, relationships. And we pray that as we look to the future, we wouldn't simply do what we have done before, but instead we would think carefully about how we can um, reshape our ministries so that they might become ever more effective. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the FIC podcast. For more resources for church leaders, subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and visit our website at fiec.org.uk.